wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crab. I am your host, David Crablo, and I'm joined today by my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. We are just a week and a half away from the start of an NFL free agency period that could be among the most dramatic in league history. And on top of that, we have another exciting, potentially historic series of events about to occur even sooner. Hal, do you ever remember such a so-called NFL offseason with more drama and fireworks like the one we're about to experience? David, I mean, between, you know, the, the Players Association and the ownership negotiations that are ongoing, the big-name free agents that are available, the teams that are already getting into trading mode and, and waving, putting players out there on the market, it's just been... Uh, non-stop since the Super Bowl, this news cycle for the NFL will not slow down. It definitely will not, and it's only about to get even crazier. And let's start out with the elephant in the room that is holding a lot of business up at the moment, and that is the collective bargaining agreement proposal that the players are currently voting on. And yesterday morning, lawyers from both the NFL Players Association and the National Football League completed the 456-page document of the proposed CBA. And shortly thereafter, the full populace of players began a vote on the proposal that will last until next week. The deal, if ratified, will bring uninterrupted labor peace all the way through the 2030 season expand the regular season from 16 to 17 games by as early as 2021 and expand the playoff picture from 12 teams to 14 teams. But as bargaining chips, the owners uh, agreed to raise minimum salaries across the board and strip Roger Goodell of most of the disciplinary powers that he has under the current CBA, which is still in effect as of this moment. While that may sound good on the surface to some, it is obviously way more complicated than that. And to those of you who have been listening to this pod and reading my tweets and Facebook posts in the last couple weeks, know very well that I firmly believe the players did not receive enough in return for that 17th game. What are your thoughts on the proposed CBA, Hal? Yeah, I mean, even if with the talk of, you know, waiving the cap on the 17th game, I mean, my goodness, the wear and tear on the players, um, I mean, adding games to the schedule really isn't in their best interest of their health. But I think the biggest takeaway I think we're going to see with the CBA and the approval is we're, we're seeing the split between the superstar players who are in favor of this. Uh, I mean, uh, who are not in favor of these, this CBA as it's set up now and the, minimum wage NFL players who outnumber the superstars, probably 20 to one who are basically, you know, game check to game check. And for them, when you start talking about, you know, raising the minimum salary an extra game check in there for those players, this sounds great. They're not looking at a long-term deal through 2030. They're thinking, how much am I going to get paid if I'm only in the league for one or two years, um, which is the you know the average for most players uh, in the NFL. So it's really looking like a split between the haves and the have-nots in the players' union, and it looks like the owners are trying to take advantage of that and weighted as heavily for the majority of the players who are looking on a very short-term, um, really looking at this just at a short-term level and not on the, the long-term like some of the Patrick Mahomes and other superstars are looking at this deal. Boop, 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 boop. There is that simpatico alert. I agree. The owners have been trying to exploit that division to their advantage, and unfortunately, in my opinion, they might turn out to be successful, although I think it's going to be a very close vote in the end, uh, because keep in mind, the uh, Board of Player Representatives voted to uh, send this to a final vote just by a bare majority, 17 eyes, uh, 14 no's, and one abstention. And they just got one more than half the majority on the board of player reps, which means uh, it's a divided union, and a lot of players are very lukewarm about this. Yeah, I mean, I I think the the biggest uh, person who's been talking against it is Aaron Rodgers, 
who isn't usually uh, full up in the union all the time. He's not the first person that comes to mind um, when you think of the NFL Players Union, but he's uh, been very vocal in his dissent on this. But again, when you start talking about, you know, how quickly that minimum salary uh, can get up for these players who, you know, uh, you know, the difference between making 485000 and 675000 is a big raise for players who are looking at a very short-term deal. And I think the owners crafted this CBA with, as you had said, this dissension between the ranks and playing that up as much as they could. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how the final vote uh, turns out. But uh, a lot of uh, arguments in favor of the deal suggest that if the players reject this, that the overall pie will shrink in a year or two, lead to a substantially worse offer from the owners. Do you buy that argument? Well, I mean, the owners have the leverage. And again, when we start talking about these players, you know, the average fan is thinking of the NFL as Aaron Rodgers, who's set for life. And, you know, regardless of whether he plays another football game or not, he and his family have more than enough money to survive on no matter what happens. But for, you know, the majority of the players who, you know, had a small bonus and, you know, maybe got a full season salary, maybe had a partial salary with an injury settlement, uh, practice squad salary. Uh, those players are looking at this deal in, in a totally different light. And for them, you know, looking at it and saying, let's just get something done. I can't survive if the league goes on strike. Uh, the players don't accept the deal and the owners lock us out. Um, they're not looking at that as an option when you're making the lower amount of money in the NFL. These guys, you know, have probably already have plans for the money that they're going to get paid next year and don't have that savings to fall back on like some of these superstar players might. That is a prevailing narrative in many circles, but Andrew Brandt, uh, I'm sure you know who he is. Uh, he currently yeah. is, writes for Sports Illustrated and is a professor of sports law at Villanova University. He has experience in the National Football League on both sides of the negotiating table. He was uh, an accomplished agent for many players, and he spent 10 years as the lead negotiator and salary cap guru for the Green Bay Packers. He knows what he's talking about, and he wrote a column that I agree with. It points out that there are still way too many inequities uh, in this uh, proposed CBA, and the players uh, have to use whatever leverage they have, and they haven't used as much of it as they should. Because if, like, the additional game for the owners was not negotiable, the players should have had one item that was not negotiable for them, like getting at least 50% of the enlarged pie uh, or um, or a larger percentage of contracts guarantee, uh, guaranteed or whatnot. But uh, he said that with the owners in a rush to do these TV deals, uh, he doesn't buy their... Um, uh, excuse saying, uh, this is our last offer, take it or we'll lock you out. He, he doesn't buy that because they need labor peace and they need uh, as much leverage as they can to do TV deals. I, I think the owners are bluffing here and I think the players should, in, in my opinion, seriously think of uh, rejecting this because you have a, a full year until this current CBA expires and just use that time to get an even better deal. That's a that's a definitely a great point. I, I wonder with the owners, though, if they're not thinking about this and saying, if the players reject the deal, if there's a lockout or strike that prevents the games from playing, does this increase our leverage with the TV stations and the media? Because right now, the only shows on network TV that draw regular high ratings is the NFL. The NFL is going to have a ton of leverage with CBS and Fox and all these other networks because no no other show on television is even close to competing with the NFL right now. And that's not even getting into the rotation of the Super Bowl and, and what those ratings and advertising revenue do for these, um, these, these networks. And, you know, just one look at the Nielsen ratings and it's like the top 25 uh, TV shows in the past year, ratings-wise, are all the NFL. And so if these 
networks don't have a product to put on, uh, that may allow additional leverage for the NFL playing the networks against each other and, and getting the networks desperate and thinking this might result in more money coming into their pockets and be a total win-win for the owners. And another reason the owners say they want this deal done now is because they fear that the upcoming presidential election is going to cut into the TV ratings quite a bit because if you thought that 2016 presidential election was ugly and dramatic, I think the 2020 election is going to be even more so. I agree. This one has already looked like uh, there's, there's a little more mud raking than I uh prefer to see in my politics, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. It will be two grouchy old uh, sep- septuagenarian men on that debate stage, and that could very well eat into the NFL rating substantially. Exactly. The, the entertainment value that um, could draw in the casual viewer, I think, is something that the uh, networks are salivating about so far in this uh, presidential race that's uh, coming up here. Yeah, that's why the NFL owners want to strike now before uh, the uh, ratings uh, uh, from the NFL get interfered with with the presidential election. And uh, I, and for the record, I'm on the player side uh, on this uh, negotiation, and, uh, and I personally hope they vote no, but uh, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here uh, for the owners. But that said, as I alluded to, it'll be a close vote, and we will know soon enough uh, right after that 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time deadline next Thursday passes and the voting window closes, we will know the fate of labor relations in the NFL. And uh, even with most league business currently on hold until that vote ends, two trades went down this week, as you alluded to. First, the Jacksonville Jaguars traded A.J. Boye, the uh, very talented corner, to the Denver Broncos for a fourth-round pick. And that means that nearly all of that star-related 2017 Jaguars defense is no longer in Duval County. And next, the Carolina Panthers, they traded Pro Bowl guard Trey Turner to the Chargers for left tackle Russell Okun. And it is clear that both the Jaguars and Panthers are having a fire sale and will treat 2020 as a rebuilding year. Which of those teams do you think is strike harder to, to take for Trevor Lawrence like the Dolphins supposedly did for Tua Tagovailoa last year? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're both giving up a lot. I mean, Jacksonville, you think of that, you know, that run to the AFC championship game, and you look at that secondary with Boye and Ramsey and those, those safeties and even the slot cornerback, Eric Church was back there, and, and that whole group is gone. It's it's completely gone. And you're looking at that front of that, that defensive line that was once so strong, and, and there's so much attrition there and aging. I think... You know, Jacksonville, you know, it, it's interesting in, in seeing which of these teams is really, you know, uh, tanking for that top pick. I think it's going to come down to what they end up doing at quarterback. And, you know, I think what killed Miami's chances was actually making the mistake of playing Ryan Fitzpatrick and actually winning more games than I think anybody expected they would. Um with that solid quarterback play, getting them the five wins and taking them out of those top picks of the draft when they really had the option to play Josh Rosen and instead the coaching staff and Brian Flores really worked on building that culture instead of tanking. And that's going to be interesting to see how they do that because, again, there there is no guarantee that, you know, if you don't have that culture in place, I mean, just look at the mess that was the Cleveland Browns last year after that continuous tanking finally gets them a premier quarterback in Baker Mayfield, and the whole system collapses around them due to, you know, a bad locker room, um, regardless of that talent. So I think for teams, you might be looking more at the Miami model saying, you know, let's get somebody in. Let's not worry about that first overall pick. And maybe the locker room is the, you know, young, hungry players driven to win. Start with that as the base instead of wasting a season and taking a shot at getting that quarterback at number one overall. Oh, the Carolina Panthers, I think, are absolutely doing that. A lot of people say they're taking 
This is Matt Rule we're talking about here. Matt Rule is a proven culture builder. He did it at Temple University, and they like only won one game his first season, and they won like nine or ten games the next couple seasons, and he did the exact same thing at Baylor. I expect the same thing to happen with the Panthers, and even though the Panthers will probably only win uh, three, four, or five games uh, in, in 2020, I expect Matt Rule to have them competitive in as many games as, as, as possible, and I, I definitely see the Carolina Panthers uh, exceeding uh, the expectations of many this year, even if uh, their talent isn't there to show for it yet. Exactly. And I, and I think, you know, I mean, I think if you look at the Dolphins, you know, I mean, really, that's the way you're going to get players to want to go and play there as well. You know, that, that culture is important. And we've seen as well that, you know, just look at, you know, Patrick Mahomes in, in Kansas City and Deshaun Watson in Houston, you don't need that number one overall pick to find that franchise quarterback. You just need that top half of the first round and have a front office that knows what it's doing. Yes, and uh, speaking of front offices, this it's amazing that the Jaguars do the right thing and fire Tom Coughlin, yet they keep Doug Marone as head coach and David Caldwell as general manager. What are they thinking? This is an organization with no clear direction. And uh, if you had to think of one that was trying harder to take, I think it would be Jacksonville because they have absolutely no direction. And for the Panthers, at least you see a clear direction and a proven culture builder there in Matt Rule. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't understand... How Jacksonville, you're, you're, you know, the foundation is crumbling around you. The house is coming down, and you don't go out and get reinforcements. You know, it, it just does not make sense that you're you're coming. The Shad Khan's coming back with David Caldwell again as the general manager. He built the team. The team fell down. It's time to find somebody else in there. And Doug Marone, for as much as they may like him as a head coach. He has not been the answer. And, you know, it's it's last year was too late to move on. Going into this year, it just looks like that's going to be a gigantic mess there in Jacksonville. And that could be a really ugly situation, um, especially, like we said, depending on what's going on with that quarterback position. Are they going to unload Nick Foles and try to get out of that contract? I mean, that's that could get really ugly really quick and divide that locker room. Oh, it most certainly can. So are we simpatico that we expect the Jaguars to be worse than the Panthers next season? I think so. I, I'm with you on the, the Mantle bandwagon. I think that we're going to see that um, culture building there like we saw in Miami, like we saw in Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury and not focused on that number one pick, but focused on that three-year plan for the future and what can I do in year one to get there and next Thursday not only does the voting on the to ratify or reject the CBA uh, end uh, it's also the deadline to apply franchise or transition tags and uh, like I alluded to on a previous show uh, if this uh, CBA gets ratified uh Teams will only be allowed to use one of the two tags, but if it doesn't get ratified, they'll be allowed to use the franchise or transition tag. But nonetheless, a phenomenon regarding the franchise tag that's been evolving in recent years has been the tag and trade, especially among pass rushers, like we saw last year with D. Ford and uh, Frank Clark. So, uh, and we could see as many as 14 players get the franchise tag this year, and five notable pass rushers looks like they're going to get it. So we're going to play a little game here. Tag and trade or tag and keep. And the first one on that list is Yannick Ngakwe, who the Jaguars will tag, as Adam Schefter reported earlier this week. But he says he is not interested whatsoever in a long-term contract in Jacksonville. So Jaguars, tag and trade or tag and keep, Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah, I mean, this has to be a tag and trade. Um, I mean, we're, we just finished talking about that culture there and how bad that can go. The last thing you want is a superstar who does not want to be there. That is a recipe for disaster in the NFL. Um, that has to be a tag and trade, no doubt about it. 
And the Super Bowl champions have an interesting dilemma there. Oh, they will use the franchise tag on Chris Jones, who was arguably the MVP of Super Bowl 54. No offense to Patrick Mahomes and his gritty comeback, but Chris Jones was like the player that played excellent from start to finish in that game for the Chiefs, and he constantly impacted uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and forced him into mistakes all game long. So Chris Jones, arguably the most important defensive player on the Chiefs, Tag and trade or tag and keep? Yeah, I mean, that that has to be a tag and keep there. I cannot see any scenario where uh, Kansas City thinks they're going to let a player Chris Jones's caliber walk away and be right back into the Super Bowl conversation next year. Um, that defense played so well in the second half of the season into the playoffs and had that impact throughout the playoffs and into the Super Bowl. I mean, that, that defense really uh, had a huge impact. And like you said, Jones really should have been the MVP. He was the difference maker in that game. Um, and whatever it costs, you know, certainly in Kansas City's best interest, tag him um, and then start working on the long-term deal to set that up into the future. But they're going to have to do something to keep him around. There's just no doubt about it. And like Chris Jones, I think this is an easy tag and keep. Shaquille Barrett. Yeah, I, I think that's another one there. I mean, there, there's plenty of salary cap space uh, in Tampa. There's a dearth of superstars on that defensive side of the ball. So you've got the space. You've got the need. It's just a perfect situation. And he fell into your lap, basically. You took a chance. You hit a grand slam. Um, reward the player, make him a foundation going into the future. I think that's a no-brainer there. Absolute no-brainer. I think it will happen because all sides point to Jameis Winston not returning to Tampa uh, next year and them uh, going with uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I would not be surprised. It certainly is a much better fit for the offensive system with Teddy Bridgewater over Jameis Winston. Um you know, I, I'm not sure how, <laughs> how Arians made it through the season last year with his full health uh, with some of those passes that were coming out of Winston's hands. Uh, I could only imagine what he was really feeling all season long. Uh, he was definitely thinking uh, something else uh, than what he said on the podium, if you know what I mean. So, uh, uh, yep, uh, exactly. what he said, he didn't really believe in Jameis, and uh, the Bucks are definitely uh, – going to have a new direction at quarterback in a couple weeks. And this is an interesting one. Matt Judon. Matt Judon isn't necessarily a, an all-star, but he's a very efficient young pass rusher. Yet the Ravens, uh, they have uh, some questionable depth at that position. But at the same time, uh, you could unload him if you're not willing to pay him what he's asking for, and you could get more pieces to potentially move up to get uh, one of the pass rushers that will fall in your rage uh, in the draft. Uh, so this is a tough one. Matt Judon, tag and trade or tag and keep? That is a tough one because on one hand, you look at Baltimore and you say, you know, how many pass rushers can they lose? You know, I mean, that was the, the question going into last season. And, you know, Judon steps up. The pass rush is a strength once again. And is this a position that they just – keep adding to and, and developing young players who just step in year after year after year? Or is this the time where you have to, you know, take a stand and say, you know what, we take a hit for one season. We're expecting big salary cap increases in the future. Um, you know, there's very few teams other than, you know, Baltimore who are as savvy as they are and keep knowing when to keep the players, um, you know, understanding, the accumulation of draft picks moving up and down in the draft order, letting the guys go at the right time, getting value back for them. I mean, that's just a, that's just a Baltimore Ravens thing. So I think as much as I think they'd love to keep Matt Jude on, I think this is a good chance of a, a tag and trade and get some assets, draft picks, whatever they can get back for him. That might be one of these situations. And the San Francisco 49ers, although they are trying to lock this guy up to a long-term deal, if they're forced to tag him, they might be forced to say goodbye given the resources they have uh, all across that defensive front 
Eric Armstead, tag and keep or tag and trade? Yeah, I mean, that's another tough one. You know, obviously, um, they're very high on the player in San Francisco, the 49ers. He plays a big role on that defensive line. But like you said as well, David, that is, you know, one of those positions that is extremely deep. And if it's a situation where there are needs at other positions, that they can't allocate those resources and, and, and tie up that, that cost in that position that's already so, so deep and strong, this might be a situation where it's a tag and trade and San Francisco uh, maximizes their value for Armstead and looks to fill in some holes um, on uh, other positions, either on defense or on offense, by trading Armstead. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense, especially since the 49ers, uh, after their first-round pick, they do not have another pick until the fifth round, for crying out loud. Uh, they traded away their third and the fourth for Emmanuel Sanders and their second for D. Ford. So I think it would make a lot of sense, if you can't get a deal done with Armstead, to tag him and then trade him for more draft picks this year. Excellent, excellent point. Yeah, that dearth of draft picks. Um, young, cheap players, uh, how you keep your team um, going back to the Super Bowl. So for San Francisco, that definitely has to be an option for them. And speaking of young and cheap players, we are less than seven weeks away from the 2020 NFL Draft. And some people say uh, free agency is the NFL's Christmas. Nope, it is the draft. The draft is the Christmas of the NFL where you get those promising young players who are far more likely to have a, a, a positive transformative impact on your team than a free agent will the vast majority of the time. And last week we had the scouting combine uh, in Indianapolis. What were your biggest takeaways from the combine, Hal? Man, I'll tell you, every year you watch the combine, there are more and more amazing athletes coming into the NFL. Uh, Just the pipeline of, I mean, you're seeing, you know, offensive, defensive linemen, weighing over 300 pounds, running a 40-yard dash in, in just just a hair over five seconds. I mean, that was unheard of 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, now these guys just come in, uh, the wide receiver, the cornerback position, the depth that those positions um, at the coming into the draft this year is just astounding. So much size, speed, um, talent. I mean, you're, you're looking at the, def- the defensive backs, the safeties, and you're going, you know, you're going to find starters in the third, fourth round, no problem. There's just so much depth there at those positions. So, um, again, looks like it could be a repeat of last year as well, where you see uh, a lot of pass rushers get a lot of attention early on, and then, you know, uh, a lot of teams finding a lot of talent at these other positions um, think San Francisco with Debo Samuel in the second round where they're getting instant impact players outside of the first 50 picks and uh, you know 50 to 100 may be the real uh, where you're really finding a, a superstar on the cheap in the NFL draft this year. Oh, yes. The depth of this class is astounding. And two of the players I believe you alluded to, uh, Mackay Becton, the offensive tackle from Louisville, man, at 365, 372 pounds running like that. A lot of people think he'll be the first offensive tackle off the board because of the way he moves and because of the good tape that he posted at Louisville. Yeah, I mean, you see that size, that strength, that athletic ability, um, not just the speed, but the quickness of the feet. And, I, I mean, if I'm an NFL head coach, I'm looking at Beck and I'm going, oh, my God, the, the screens, the wide receiver screens, the running back screen, pulling, being able to pull a tackle on a running play. Oh, you're salivating thinking of everything that you can do with that kind of player. And, you know, like we saw last year with some of that depth on the defensive line as well, pass rushers inside, um, you know, there's going to be high, high-quality impact players that, are going to be available later on in the draft. And and we're going to be sitting here next year, just like we were this year going, you know, how the heck did these guys fall so far down the draft board? They're just way too talented to have been there. I believe so, especially when it comes to the wide receivers, which we'll talk about in a moment. But let's talk about Isaiah Simmons, man. If you want to talk about the super freak of super freaks, 
Isaiah Simmons is that guy. Like, how could a, a, a guy at, like, 6'2", um, run faster than Devin Hester and measure bigger than DK Metcalf, for crying out loud? That guy is the real deal. He was the ultimate defensive chess piece for Clemson and based on his workout and based on the chatter coming out of Indy, I doubt he gets by the Giants at four if they keep the pick. Yeah, I mean, it, it used to be, you know, the, 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 the combine 20 years ago was, you know, you were finding players. Here you're just, it seems like that you're, the combine has become, you know, less about the scouting and more about making these players a national name and basically solidifying the players that, you know, what you saw on tape, that crazy speed, athletic ability translates as well, um, you know, and it's just checking the box and saying, yep, this guy is the real deal, and uh, it's just going to be a battle to see, you know, who ends up with him because, like you said, I mean, after a performance like that, you're looking at, you're looking at Simmons and saying, you know, anybody that takes him, plugs him in there in the middle of their defense, I mean, you can't lose, you know. <laughs> You've got an instant impact player right there. You most certainly do. And now let's talk about my big takeaways from the combine. Uh, as I mentioned, this is an historic wide receiver class. And before the combine, the chatter was um, – the two best receivers in this draft are either Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb. Either one of them has as strong a case to be the first receiver off the board. But I think Henry Ruggs is now squarely in the conversation to be the first wide receiver off the board. Uh, he didn't break the record for fastest 40, but he's plenty fast enough at 4.27 to be exact. Some teams had him at 4.22, which was the John Ross speed. But regardless, Henry Ruggs is not just a speed demon, he is a much more advanced wide receiver uh, coming out of that system in Alabama. He is a very good route runner with only room to improve in that department. He uh, is an amazing leaper like his uh, his 40-inch vertical was astounding for a guy th that size. And this is a copycat league. Teams look at that Kansas City Chiefs offense with receivers like Tyree Kill and Miko Hardman, who are who might not be the biggest, but they run super fast and just dictate coverages all game long. And teams are going to look at Henry Ruggs like, hey, that's another Tyree Kill. We want him because we want a guy who's going to give opposing defensive coordinators absolute headaches and how to dictate coverages. And their coverages are going to be so limited if you have a guy like Henry Ruggs on your team. I think Henry Ruggs, nobody should be surprised at all if he's the first receiver taken and potentially taken in the top 10. Yeah, I mean, I, I initially was looking at Ruggs as a, as a fit for your Denver Broncos at 15, but now after that combine, he really has, you know, jumped up there. And now you're looking at, you know, Jacksonville at nine, Arizona at eight. I mean, those are, you know, much more realistic possibilities. And, uh, you know, like we've seen in the past, sometimes these prospects, you know, it's just a matter of being able to, you know, thrust themselves into that conversation. And everything that we saw with Ruggs, I mean, at the Combine, just, you know, jumped off the field. I mean, just screams playmaker. And like you said, in this copycat league, there's going to be a lot of teams looking for just that kind of wide receiver. Uh, yeah, and I believe it was uh, Greg Cosell who said uh, in an interview with Fran Duffy, who was on this podcast a couple weeks ago, uh, he said that the amount of passes less than 10 yards that are being thrown in the NFL have gone up every single year for the past like five or six years or so. And Henry Ruggs is a receiver that perfectly fits that trend in that mold. Exactly. And, and like we said, there, there's so much depth at that position as well that, you know, even the teams that, that aren't able to get somebody like, you know, him there, uh, you know, start looking at uh, Chenault, Jefferson, uh, T. Higgins. There's, you know, these big wide receivers with speed that can do a little bit of do a little bit of everything. And there's just so many, you know. I mean, we're looking at easily, you know, nobody would bat an eyelash five wide receivers going off the board, maybe even in the first twenty picks. That is a real, real possibility. 
But uh, when you look at that second-tier wide receivers behind the big three of Lamb, Judy, and Ruggs, I think two separated themselves from the pack. One of them was Justin Jefferson, who you mentioned, a fantastic route runner who was uh, Joe Burrow's baby blanket, so to speak, at LSU last year. But that 4-4 time in the 40 shows that he has even more room to grow in terms of uh, uh, utilizing that speed of his. And uh, with that route running of his, he could turn out to be a faster version of Keenan Allen by the end of the day. But there's a, this other guy who put on a show at the Combine and at the Cedar Bowl. I saw it with my own two eyes down in Mobile, and I also got to talk to this guy, Denzel Mims from Baylor. I think has catapulted himself right to the top of that second tier of wide receivers, along with Justin Jefferson. And LaVisca Chenault's probably going to fall due to that injury. But Denzel Mims now could easily be a late first-round pick. That 6.663 code time and running a sub-4440 at like 6.3? Are you kidding me? And, and plus all the <laughs> highlight reel catches that guy has put on tape at, at his testing shows that, yes, although his route running may be raw right now, he's a perfectly equipped athlete to develop that skill at the NFL level. So, uh, like, if the Broncos miss out on the top three and 15, trading maybe a couple spots back and subsequently grabbing a Justin Jefferson or a Denzel Mims, that doesn't look like the worst option. No, and, and, and Mims is another one that, you know, um, not you know really took advantage of his time in front of the NFL scouts in, in the Senior Bowl, um, where you saw him as well, and at the Combine, I mean, just a couple of months ago, the, the talk on Mims was, well, late second round, early third round guy, possibly. And no, I mean, he's really thrust himself into the discussion of legitimate first round wide receiver. And as you alluded to, those skills that uh, that NFL teams need from these wide receivers, it, it just seems like the depth, especially the last couple of years, has just been getting better and better uh, developing players that can make an impact in today's pass-happy NFL. Uh, you said it, and the other big combine takeaway I had is that this uh, combat, combine format this year where they move the workouts to early, mid-late afternoon prime time uh, as opposed to early morning, noon sharp, uh, it kind of had a detrimental effect on many players. Like a lot of players post posted subpar agility scores that didn't match up with the film. And I think the fatigue and having the workout in the late, latter part of the day, I think played a role in that. And agents are now um, saying that uh, if this is the same format next year, we're going to recommend our guys not work out at all. So I think that this uh, new combine format might have to be changed back to the previous one as early as next year. Yeah, I mean, as much as the NFL, you know, loved the ratings that they were getting in that prime time, I mean, eventually they have to look at the balance and say, you know, what is better for these players? Because if you start having a combine and the attendance starts dropping off because these players don't want to wait around all day and, you know, do drills in the morning and then get tested eight hours later, um, Certainly, you can't blame the players and their agents for this. There's so much at stake for them. There's so much money. Um, just like we're talking about a player who goes from a late second-round pick to a late first-round pick, we're talking millions of dollars over the length of that first contract. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a chance for the agents to, you know, exercise their power and put that pressure back on the NFL and say, Look at, we know you're a television-driven league. You know, you're looking for every dollar and every TV rating that you can get. But at the same time, we have to look at what's best for the players on occasion and uh, move this back to a normal time for them and uh, make their lives easier if you want to keep seeing these the star talent on stage for you. I, I agree. These agents are not bluffing whatsoever, and I think the NFL is going to have to cave to their demands in moving the workouts back to um, late morning, early afternoon, as opposed to uh, late afternoon, early evening. And uh, now let's talk about the guy, as soon as this uh, CBA is figured out one way or the other, the guy that will be holding up a lot of the free agent market and this rather historic quarterback carousel, as we talked about in the prior weeks, you know him well. Tom Brady and word out of New England is that Patriots owner Robert Kraft is fiercely trying to convince and cajole Bill Belichick to keep Brady regardless of the cost 
whereas Belichick in his typical uh, emotionless manner isn't different. Bob Kraft has rarely, if ever, undercut a decision made by Bill Belichick. How good of a chance is there that Kraft will actually do so here, say, if Belichick decides, nope, we're letting Brady go, and Kraft steps in and says, nope, he's ours? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's a strange situation to see after so long, and, and it's really a situation where it looks like, you know, Tom Brady, really all he wants is that pat on his back and say, hey, you're the guy. We want you. We're laying out the red carpet for you to come back to New England. We can't win without you. And Bill Belichick, as usual, is standing there with his arms crossed and that stony expression on his face and saying, you know, nobody's bigger than the team. This isn't how we do things in New England. And and like you alluded to, I mean, you know, Robert Kraft stepping in and, and keeping um, Tom Brady I mean, one thing that's been consistent with the Kraft-Belichick relationship is that, you know, Robert Kraft is not stepping into that player personnel role and flexing his muscles like Jerry Jones uh, has done so many times as the de facto general manager there in Dallas. But, um, you know, it's really going to be interesting because, you know, alienating Bill Belichick at this stage of the game you know, he packs up and goes home. Half, you know, he's already got two key defensive coaches who are family that would probably go with him, and this team is in turmoil all of a sudden. So it's, it's a tough balancing act there for Robert Kraft. I think there's a lot of, like you alluded to, a lot of Robert Kraft behind the scenes, just like with the collective bargaining agreement trying to smooth things over. I think that's his role um, with Brady and Belichick. And I, I think it's a situation, too, that as much as Tom Brady would, for the first, you know, day or two, love the idea of, you know, sticking it to Bill as it is, uh, really, you know, it, it's hard to see him making the decision to, to give up all that he's built here in this offensive system in New England and instead um, pack up and, and start new at, what, he'll be 43 when the season starts. Um, almost, you know, beyond unprecedented to even think of that. Yes, uh, but these things do happen. Like, nobody thought that Joe Montana would play elsewhere. Nobody thought that Peyton Manning would play elsewhere. This could actually happened with Tom Brady and a reporter who is super, super close to Tom Brady's inner circle. Uh, ESPN's Jeff Darlington, he said last week that he has reached the point where he'd be, quote, stunned if Tom Brady did not leave the Patriots. And I know you're a Patriots fan, Hal. I don't mean to break your heart, but the question is, <laughs> if Tom Brady does leave New England, as Jeff Darlington personally anticipates, and he could be wrong, Tom Brady is a careful thinker. He could easily change his mind uh, in the next couple weeks and, and uh, decide to stay in New England after all. Uh, two teams that have been floated as possible destinations for him have been the Tennessee Titans and just lately the San Francisco 49ers. And today, uh, Michael Lombardi uh, the former um, NFL front office executive uh, who spent the final part of his career in New England and helping uh, win uh, two more Super Bowls, um, he says that he believes that the 49ers are a logical fit for Tom Brady. So, in your opinion, would the Titans or 49ers make more sense for Tom Brady if he does, in fact, leave Foxborough? Um, you know, trying to... I, boy, you know, I... The, the problem I see with the, the 49ers is you've got the Shanahan offense there, which is not what Tom Brady has been doing for 20 years. I think that's the, the biggest difference there. I can understand the San Francisco perspective of we were this close to winning the Super Bowl, and if we just had a little better quarterback play in the fourth quarter of that game, we would have been hoisting that trophy. Um, I can understand the allure of that, but at the same time, they do have a pretty good quarterback there already. And Tennessee, where you're looking at difference between Ryan Tannehill and Tom Brady, if you're looking at saying we're on the upside, we made the AFC championship game, um, the next step for us is 
you know, even if it's just a short-term improvement at that quarterback position, definitely I, I, I think Tennessee and especially the personal relationship with Mike Vrabel, who would basically turn the keys of the offense over to Brady, um, really swings it in the favor of Tennessee, I think. Uh, yes, and although the 49ers uh, might make sense because he grew up in the Bay Area, he was at the game where Joe Montana found Dwight Clark in the end zone, it would be a fitting ending, but it, Tennessee, I think, makes a lot more sense given his relationship with Mike Vrabel and the fact that that scheme is much more tailored to his advantage than the Kyle Shanahan offense. Plus, he's going to have some great weapons to throw the ball to in A.J. Brown and John Smith in particular, and Derrick Henry, who will probably be franchise tag, taking the load off of him in his age 43 season, and that defense, uh, that would be more than an ideal fit for Tom Brady to win one more Super Bowl. Exactly, yeah. I, I think just for those reasons, you know, if, if he is leaving New England, I, I think Tennessee has to be the top target. Um, San Francisco, like I said, that I, I just don't, you know, see Tom Brady learning a new offensive system in his last two seasons, and I'm not sure that um, Kyle Shanahan, for as offensively innovative as he is, blowing everything up for a quarterback who he's going to have for one, maybe two years at the max. He is Hale Bet, ladies and gentlemen, of FullPressCoverage.com. Or if you're a Patriots fan, you can catch his work at MusketFire.com. Follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And Hal, thank you so much once again for joining us to break down the latest news and notes of this dramatic NFL non-playing season. But before you go, uh, let's uh, take a look at this free agent pool again. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Matt Barr and I uh, came up with uh, the best possible landing spots for free agent quarterbacks, and now you and I are going to come up with the best uh, landing spots for non-quarterback free agents. And we start with one of the biggest fish on the market, Byron Jones, the versatile defensive back for the Dallas Cowboys. And word has it that uh, the Giants and Eagles are going to be in a bidding war for the soon-to-be former Cowboys corner. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think for for Jones, you know, he's basically, you know, was a late first-round pick, that, that big size that, you know, Dallas wasn't sure at first, was he a safety, was he a cornerback, do you play him in the slots, does he cover tight ends? And really, he's kind of shown he can do all of that. And I think for somebody like Philadelphia, uh, divisional rival as well, uh, the Giants desperate for, a cornerback thought those are both going to be known teams. Um, let's him stick it to Jerry Jones a little bit as well there at the same time. Um, but I'd also keep my eyes on um, the Detroit Lions as well. Uh, they need help in that secondary as well. Um, bizarrely moving on from Darius Play, so I would keep them in the conversation as well. But But for – Philadelphia, the impact that he could have stepping in as that number one cornerback, uh, divisional rival as well. I think that for Byron Jones is a great fit for him. Uh, he can walk in and be the number one guy uh, from day one. Yeah, if he wants to get paid big buddy and compete for a potential Super Bowl, uh, the Eagles would make the most sense for Byron Jones, although the Giants should not be counted out whatsoever. But as uh, Benjamin Albright of ProFootballNetwork.com just reported a couple days ago, the Eagles are currently the front runners for his services. And another special corner hitting the market, albeit in his age 31 season, is Chris Harris Jr. And uh, unfortunately, um, his the last couple of years in Denver didn't go so well. And... Uh, and uh, regardless of uh, which side of the uh, table you're rooting for here, so to speak, it, ma it makes sense for Chris Harris Jr. and the Broncos to go their separate ways for Chris Harris Jr. to get that final big payday of his uh, career after taking that discount to stay with the Broncos uh, several years ago. So, uh, Chris Harris Jr., you mentioned the Lions as a possible landing spot for Byron Jones. Just imagine this. Imagine if the Lions make Darius Slay happier somewhat by bringing in Chris Harris Jr. to play the slot and drafting Jeffrey Okuda, uh, whether it be at the third overall pick or the fifth overall pick, uh, if they trade down with Miami, to play the opposite boundary of Darius Slay. I think the Lions uh, with uh, Chris Harris Jr., Darius Slay, and Jeffrey Okuda, that could be a dream trio. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, really, you're thinking about that. You know, Akuda, clearly the best cornerback coming out of the draft, um, expected to be top five, top three, even Detroit sitting at three, should have a chance um, if they can pass up Isaiah Simmons um, and and not, you know, and boy, I mean, and then add Harris in there. I think for Harris as well, getting back to just one role as well as he's getting older might be um, – Part of the problem moving around a lot, Denver inside, outside, um, just because of the need there at the position. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a great idea seeing to think of him going to Detroit. If Detroit can somehow straighten things out with Darius Clay, that would be a great situation for him. Uh, if he's looking at you know uh, a team that he can step in as well and maybe make an impact um, a, another team that's on the rise as well. Um, Tennessee's clearing Logan Ryan's contract out as well, which gives them a lot of space. If they can get Derrick Henry fit in there, if they figure out the quarterback, whether it's Brady or Tannehill, and if they have any space, uh, Chris Harris might be a, a fit there if he's looking for another chance to make a run of the Super Bowl. Uh, the Titans would be interesting, although I think if they do side Tom Brady, that would take them out of Chris Harris Jr.'s market, and uh, we shall see how that unfolds. If you want a big, ugly in the middle of your defense, so to speak, uh, that can rush the passer a little bit, as well as be an elite run stuffer, DJ Reader, who is going to hit the market, uh, he has interest from at least seven teams, according to several reports out there. So where should DJ Reader end up? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, there's not many teams that that wouldn't benefit from adding that type of player uh, onto their their defensive front right now. I mean, I'm looking at him saying, um, you know, plug and play into a a lot of different situations. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, pick the team it's going to be difficult to say you know um there's going to be a lot of money thrown his way you know a team that could be uh, isn't tight to the cap that could really use an impact player up front um i mean i think there'll be teams that are that are on the upswing that are going to be looking at him arizona comes to mind um tampa bay obviously comes to mind as well but, um, you know, maybe a situation, there's a dark horse team that can free up some space and get some in would be the Rams. I think, you know, having somebody in there, the team with Aaron Donald, the, the you know, the Sioux experiment worked and got them to the Super Bowl. We saw the, the difference last year as some of that talent fell away from Donald and he had to pick up more of the load. That would be a very, very interesting situation. Um I think for leader as well. And then the teams that, that are always going to come up, you know, the giants seem to be in on every free agent. Uh, the Redskins are going to be there with a bucket of money. Uh, Miami's got a lot of cap space as well as they're building that program there in Miami and, and the jets as well in the AFB. So there's a lot of options. I think again, you know, these players are, are, are knowing that the money's going to be there. They've got to really look at, you know, is this team really on the upswing? Is this a situation where I can go and, and have a legitimate chance at winning? And so, yeah, really, I, I, I think we're looking at, you know, the reader, I'd be looking at, uh, you know, maybe Arizona, maybe the Rams, if they could make space and, and have a real special impact. I actually think Miami would be a great landing spot for DJ Reader. Uh, yes, they have Christian Wilkins already, but having those two guys uh, on your defensive line and oh, Brian yeah. Flores from the Belichick tree loves to build his defense uh, inside out. Uh, DJ Reader could be uh, his uh, Vincent Wilfork, and Christian Wilkins could be uh, his Richard Seymour. Yeah, there's another great situation that, yeah, very exciting. And, you know, teams with that talent up front um, tend to. Uh, be able to make that step forward there, um, you know, pressure up the middle. There's not a quarterback in the NFL who seems to like uh, that and being able to have a couple of big bodies there who can move the pocket, uh, that would put Miami uh, a big step forward closer to competing uh, 
in the AFC East next year. Rarely do you see a pass rusher as talented as Jadevian Clowney hit the open market. And although he uh, did tell directly to ESPN's Josita Anderson, he, he told her uh, that uh, he would love to stay in Seattle, but he is also open to other um, endeavors. And two of the teams hot on his trail are the Giants and the Colts. And if he does leave Seattle, which one of those two teams would make the best landing spot for him? Yeah, I, I think if, if I'm Clowney, I'm looking at the Colts. You get to play the Texans twice a year. Um, that's going to be a big draw. Obviously, we know a lot of money rolling over on the cap from Indianapolis that they didn't use last year. They certainly have the deep enough pockets. And we saw with that, you know, there's a lot of young talent in the secondary at the linebacker position for Indianapolis. Adding a player like Clowney there would be such a huge get for them. I think, you know, Indianapolis would be great landing spot if Seattle lets Clowney get away. Yeah, I think the Colts uh, would make the most sense. Uh, the Colts have an amazing uh, young nucleus of pass rushers there, and he would come in and be the leader there uh, right away. And uh, some people say Joe Schobert's the best linebacker on the market. I disagree. It is Corey Littleton. Like, watching the Rams these past couple years, this guy just flies all over the field and rarely misses a tackle, and he's got an amazing nose for the football. Corey Littleton is the hottest linebacker on the open market. And uh, Corey Littleton, uh, word has that the Raiders are hot on his trail, and it makes sense given that they need more speed in the middle of that defense, especially uh, with a defense like Paul Gunther's that is dependent on athletic linebackers to make that defense uh, hum more, and uh, they're probably not going to re-sign Avantes Burfecht, so that would be a perfect fit, but uh, don't sleep on the Broncos, and you know how much Vic Faggio loves linebackers like that, so it could be an AFC West tug-of-war for Corey Littleton. Oh, yeah, definitely. Without a doubt, those teams both make a lot of sense um, for Littleton as well, and, um, you know, I wouldn't count the Jets out of there as well they've been looking at that linebacker position for so long um, trying to plug so many different players in there um, you know if you can get him in the middle and and get your um, you know uh, a healthy return a return to health there of cj mosley all of a sudden that linebacking core goes from you know what was such a liability this last year to one of the top units in the league possibly um, with those kind of players up front and Jamal Adams behind them, that makes the Jets' defense instantly improve as well. So I wouldn't count them as a dark horse candidate as well uh, for shoring up that linebacker position. The Jets did sign C.J. Mosley last year, although he uh, spent most of the year um, hurt. So, But that said, uh, having a, a two-headed monster at linebacker won't hurt you. But uh, it'll be interesting because Littleton is expected to have a super, super Hot market. And last year's league leader in interceptions, Anthony Harris, uh, safety, um, who had a fantastic year with the Vikings when uh, Xavier Rhodes fell off at Harris at Smith's so subsider declined. He stepped up big time and delivered a Pro Bowl season. So uh, Anthony Harris, uh, he's probably going to end up elsewhere. Who should get Anthony Harris, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, you know, the safety market is so strange in the NFL where we, we've seen you know so many talented players uh, last so long on that market and it seems like some years they're they're scooped right up right away and then all of a sudden there's all this depth that just sits there and uh teams get amazing bargains on them i don't think anthony harris somebody that's going to sit there very long um i think there's there's a number of teams again when we start talking about some of these teams uh it's a you know that desperately need that kind of talent uh, to step in at safety. Um, the usual suspects, we're always talking about the Giants and the Redskins. Um, you know, Miami went from having too many safeties last year to, to not having enough. They're going to be an active player with the money that they have available as well. Um, but, you know, uh, I think somebody like Oakland could make a run for Anthony Harris as well give them a you know a, a, a push to try to make that step uh, step up where you're making a splash in Las Vegas we're really close to being in the playoffs we're right on the edge of that in these last the last month of the season as well so 
I wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, I keep calling them Oakland, Las Vegas making a push there as well. They're the Las Vegas Raiders of Oakland, as Pat Kerwin said. So let's call them the Las Vegas Raiders of Oakland uh, from here on out. Yeah, that would make sense, especially with them likely to say goodbye to Carl Joseph. Uh, Anthony Harris would be an ideal replacement for him. And uh, if you think Tom Brady is leaving New England, this guy is a million times more likely to leave the Patriots. Joe Tooney. And word has it that the Jets uh, highly covet him. And the next offensive lineman on our list, and uh, I... I would personally be surprised uh, knowing uh, the cap space the Jets have and how urgently they need to protect Sam Darnold uh, after last year's uh, seat performance. Uh, Joe Tooney, I think uh, I think the Jets might be the best bet for him. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, you look at Tooney, and, you know, he's uh, so consistent. You know, basically barely missed a snap over his four seasons doesn't allow sacks, is very strong in the running game, technically sound. He can step in at tackle um, in a pinch if need be. I mean, he just gives you everything you need on the inside. He's tough. He's strong. He's athletic. Um, he's earned himself a huge contract with his play in New England over the last four years. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of teams that are going to need help in there. That could be a, a, a real bidding war for Tooney. You see the Jets. I think Chicago needs to build up that depth in the interior offensive line. They should be uh, involved in that. And, you know, if he wants to cash in as well, you're going to see some of these other teams uh, stepping up to the table. Um, does he want to take a chance on a team on the rise? Um, the relationship with Matt Patricia, uh, who was coaching in New England when he was there, Miami as well. He's got so many options. It's basically going to be a bidding war for him. And, yeah, he's probably the least likely free agent uh, the Patriots have of returning for sure. Uh, yes, and if Joe Thudy, uh resets the guard market, Jack Cocklin, I believe, will reset the tackle market. And you obviously have the Jets hot on his trail, but they're also looking at uh, trading for Trent Williams as well. So that could complicate things a bit here. But if not the Jets, uh, who should uh, pick up Jack Cocklin? Oh, Cleveland Browns. <laughs> There's oh, yeah. a team desperate. <laughs> I think, you know, I think Baker Mayfield probably, uh, if I was him, I'd be setting up in the office of the, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just like those commercials where he's living there in the stadium, uh, I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going home until he's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. The Browns, I think, would make perfect sense. Draft Jack Cochran to play right tackle. And at 10, you could get uh, Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs or wh whatever of the top three tackles of the draft falls there to be your left tackle of the future. It would make perfect sense for the Cleveland Browns. And Robbie Anderson, uh, the Jets are going to try hard to keep it, but he's going to cost a fortune, and uh, if he leaves the Jets, uh, I am kind of leaning towards the Raiders as a good fit for him, because imagine if the Raiders get Robbie Anderson to be the speed receiver, and draft CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy at 12 to compliment him, that would be a, a lethal offense with Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, and uh, Robbie Anderson and Judy or Lamb. Yeah, I mean, that's a... That's a... <laughs> That's a John Gruden going crazy over there, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I think Bobby Anderson's going to have a pretty good market because, you know, I really think, um, you know, his off-field problems seem to be behind him. He's really straightened himself out. He's, you know, got, he can do so much more than he was allowed to do in New York. I think if, you know, a, another place I would throw out there as well um, for Robbie Anderson as a dark horse candidate, if the Patriots are keeping Tom Brady and talking about, you know, uh, investing heavily in his targets as a way to keep him, uh, Robbie Anderson, Bill Belichick is a big fan of Robbie Anderson, um, speaks very highly of him and game plans specifically to take him away in their games against the Jets. He has a lot of respect for Anderson and he could be a surprise target. Um, as a way to keep Tom Brady in New England with a big target like Anderson who can make big plays for that offense. Ooh, and if the Patriots want Tom Brady back, 
they might not only have their eyes on Robbie Anderson, they'll probably have their eyes on Austin Hooper as well. Austin Hooper is like uh, only uh, 25, 26 years old, and he's uh, going to hit the open market after a career year in Atlanta last year. And I, I don't think he's, he's just, he's just scratching the surface of his ceiling, man. And uh, one of the teams expected to be hot on his trail, the Green Bay Packers. And I think he'd make perfect sense for either the Packers or the Patriots if, if Tom Brady stays. Uh, with the Aaron Rodgers getting a little long in the tooth, uh, having a comfortable target he can throw to over the middle would be an upgrade over Jimmy Graham, who they're going to release anyways. Uh, I think uh, Austin Hooper would be a dream scenario for Aaron Rodgers. Oh, definitely. Rodgers, Brady, those kind of quarterbacks, um, you know, love those kind of tight ends. I would throw uh, New Orleans and Drew Brees into that uh, conversation but as they well. Do have, they do you have know? Jared Cook, though. They do have Jared Cook. Yeah, well, they do have Cook. You're right. Ah, they can move on from them cheap enough, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, for for teams like that that, that they need that impact from that position, um, I'd I'd throw the Houston Texans into that conversation as well. Bill O'Brien loves tight ends, is, you know, just has a ton of them, just hasn't had the right fit there as well. Um, that's a possible target. And, um, you know, maybe Pittsburgh is a dark horse candidate there as well. Um, you know, they do have Vance McDonald, but adding to that position, they, Ben Roethlisberger does like having two tight ends out there on the field as well. So, um, with Roethlisberger back to health, that might be an option as well. It might be. And hell bet, ladies and gentlemen, of FullPressCoverage.com. Thank you so much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. We'll be back in just a few days with more incredible content as this drama-filled NFL non-playing season unfolds. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome.